I mean, one agenda behind the book is to challenge the very simple and dogmatic uh, equation of Wagner with Nazi Germany, Wagner with anti-Semitism, Wagner with racism, uh, which is absolutely not to deny that those relationships exist, uh, but just to push back against the idea that this is ultimately all that Wagner is about. Welcome back to Sound Expertise. I'm your host, Will Robin. So I'm going to make this introduction short because what you're going to listen to for the next 50 or so minutes is a bit longer than our usual episodes. And to be perfectly honest, our guest, New Yorker music critic Alex Ross, is way, way more interesting than I could ever hope to be. But I do want to say that there has been a vital cultural conversation happening in the past few years about people who make great art and do terrible things and how we grapple with that art and the people that created it. That conversation is not by any means new, and if there's one historical figure that has long been the prototype for these kinds of discussions, it's the composer Richard Wagner. Wagner is almost synonymous in the public imagination with the reprehensible anti-Semitism that he publicly espoused, and the ways in which the Nazis drew on his music and ideology for horrible ends. But Hitler and the Third Reich are only one part of Wagner's legacy— The influence of his music and ideas was and is enormous, almost beyond belief, and they're still not fully understood, or at least not until now. For the past decade, Alex Ross has been uncovering other legacies of Wagner, other Wagnerisms. He's written a book of breathtaking scope and brilliance, which is coming out this fall, that addresses this precise issue, Wagnerism, art and politics in the shadow of music. Alex has been a longtime friend and mentor. I was honored to be able to read this incredible book as it developed, and I'm very happy to host him for this rich and fascinating conversation. So it's been a little over 10 years since The Rest is Noise was completed, um, and I know you had a second awesome book of... um, essays since then but I was thinking a little bit about kind of the rest is noise as this amazing kind of cultural history of 20th century music and it seems in some ways like Wagnerism is the next kind of big research project for you after that is that kind of correct yeah definitely and and I think that Wagnerism was kind of creeping into um uh my sight lines as I was working on uh, The Rest is Noise because just the topic of, of Wagner kept surfacing and, and sort of um, uh, uh, intruding on the on the narrative in a way that I think it's it's maybe an interesting sign when, when you're sort of when you've finished a big project and you're thinking about what the next one uh, should be uh, if if there was something in the previous project which kept distracting you um, oh, and and sort of you know taking you off the main road that that can be a sign that's sort of where you're supposed to go next i mean that's sort of the way it was with me because uh the 
first chapter, the rest is noise, just the background of music at the very beginning of the 20th century. Obviously, Wagner is this uh, giant figure that Mahler and, and Strauss and Schoenberg and others were confronting. Uh, and then when I reached the Nazi period uh, in that book uh, and the question of the sort of musical taste of, of Hitler and, and, and um, the, the Nazi hierarchy, uh, Wagner, uh, again, uh, played a big role. And, and so part of me wishes that I'd actually not <laughs> spend so much time uh, on those topics in The Rest is Noise mm. so that there'd be... <laughs> oh, so that I wouldn't save be, it for the next one. Yes, I wouldn't be retreading uh, the same ground. I was particularly concerned about that when I reached the the... Nazi Germany chapter of this book, but I actually was able to find that that I had a different way of. Going they seem about really it. different, actually, but no, we'll come back to that. Um, so obviously, one of the most conspicuous things, the differences between the two books, is that Wagnerism is not actually a book about music in a way, or at least it's art in the shadow of Wagner. Is I think how you put it. So how did you? Why not music as the central focus, or at least given Wagner's kind of huge influence on composers post-Wagner, why focus on other forms of art, visual art, literature, film, etc.? Right. Um, well, it's obviously a relationship which really interests me, uh, how music affects and is affected by uh, neighboring art forms and mm. the general cultural landscape, political landscape, and that was uh, a central preoccupation of The Rest is Noise. So I felt as though I was taking up the same kind of relationship and the same question uh, in this book, but in a significantly different way in that uh, uh, it, it is a book sort of around music, uh, mm. but not uh, about music per se, or it's, it's, it's about music's effect, um, uh, principally on artists, writers, architects, uh, visual artists, filmmakers, uh, choreographers, so on and so forth, uh, and then even more widely on intellectual life, uh, political life, but not um, not Wagner's influence on subsequent music. Right. Um, and uh, I didn't want to do that, first of all, because it would have just made the, the, the book even more... <laughs> it's a long book. I mean, right now it's a long yeah, book. It would have been even more unmanageable than, than it already is. Um, and that is sort of a, a, a very much a topic in itself. And it's also, I feel, it's less interesting. Um, Wagner's influence on music was was vast um, and crucially important. But I don't know if it was qualitatively that much different from prior uh, sort of relationships of, 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 of one kind of towering compositional figure uh, to, to what came after um, or, or relationships that, that have uh, uh, come to the fore in the past hundred years after Wagner. Right. Um, you know, it's hard to argue that <clears throat> Wagner was necessarily more influential on music than Bach, than, than Beethoven, Beethoven yeah, so. Stravinsky. Uh, he is one of a series of, of figures who seem to bring about some kind of paradigm shift in musical language. But but there is something qualitatively different about, about Wagner's effect on the arts and on politics. Um, this just quite hadn't happened before, and I don't think it's happened hmm. since. Um, uh, a musical figure becoming 
an ism, becoming a becoming a, a, a movement of some kind. Very difficult to define sure. <laughs> what this movement is, but but a very palpable many hundreds of pages at least. Yeah, yeah very palpable, very widespread uh, sense that that, that Wagner. Uh, you simply had to come to terms with Wagner if you were an artist at the at the turn of the last century, um, and and that's I think unique um, and 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 a really interesting uh, uh, sort of territory to explore in terms of in terms of uh, how how music uh, how how opera uh, uh, operates um, as a force in the wider culture, and of course we're not talking just about music. I mean Wagner. Uh, Part of why this happens is that Wagner is never just a composer. Uh, mm. He is a dramatist. Uh, he is a theater personality, uh, a, a, uh, a producer and director uh, of theater. Uh, he is an architect in a way. He's, he's an architect of, of a new kind of theater space. Uh, and he is, um, unfortunately, <laughs> a polemicist, a political commentator, sure. uh, a, a theorist of a sort. And, and so, so he wears many hats, and, and, and only one of them is, is music. But it all does come back to music and, and and none of these other aspects of Wagner would have been of much interest without the musical component that right. was what dro- drove it mm. from the beginning and so how did you first kind of begin to percolate this idea that Wagner's not just this huge cultural figure influential musician but like that he seemed to like his influence overshadows so much like what were the first few kind of examples you you could see of Wagner's actual kind of like huge influence on the arts um, and that kind of spurred you to want to find all of this other stuff that you found right well I think I'd always been aware of it I mean certainly since college and I studied uh, uh, English literature and also uh, French literature for a time in in college and the period of the fin de siècle was uh, especially interesting me interesting to me has always been um, and so I was very much aware of Wagner's influence on uh, symbolist poetry right. uh, Baudelaire and Mallarmé uh, certainly on uh, Anglo-American modernism uh, uh, Joyce mm-hmm. was <clears throat> uh, ended up being the subject of my senior thesis in in college I didn't actually address Wagner per se uh, at that time but uh, I was I was very much aware of it and and so these these examples were were already in my mind as as I began to you know go about planning this project um, and then I realized it was actually even more extensive than I had suspected mm. uh, there, there you know I sort of set out this pretty huge uh, reading list um, and and then I kept adding to it <laughs> uh, and, and do you so, have like a document on your computer that was like the original reading like I mean it, the amount of books you cite in this book is like, yeah kind of insane and not just the secondary literature but like the novels <laughs> yeah yeah no it's I didn't actually keep track uh, maybe I should have but it, certainly I read hundreds and hundreds of books uh, read or reread I mean mm-hmm. something some, you know, I'd already read Ulysses. Um, uh, I'd already but read. like the weird stuff that's only in French and that is clearly not very yeah, good yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and, and you know, part of it was, I mean, I think it took, ended up taking 10 years or even 12 years, kind of from when I first um, set out the plan for the book in 2008, was because the the reading was, was a huge pleasure. Uh, it was It was a great 
education and, and re-education to, to revisit uh, this literature. Uh, you know, I'd read several novels by Willa Cather and Virginia Woolf, but uh, not all of them. And, and so I sat down and read all of them. Mm. Um, and uh, 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 I had actually recently completed before undertaking the book, uh, making my way through uh, all of Proust, um, but uh, there were there were several other major <laughs> reading projects of that of that uh, magnitude uh, in front of me, and yeah, I think that was I I I, th- I think I lost a year at least <laughs> um, when I came across this uh, remarkable book, the Dictionnaire Encyclopédique Wagner, mm-hmm. uh, which is twenty five hundred pages long, which uh, <laughs> came out um, a few years ago. Uh, brilliant. Uh, uh, act of, of of consolidating vast um, quantity of, of material by uh, Timothée Picard, uh, the French musicologist, uh, edited uh, this book. There were, there were many other writers, and and just looking looking through that tome, I just realized, oh my God, you know, there's there, there are there are uh, French turn of the century novelists I haven't I've never even heard of, you know, who you know wrote novels uh, set at Bayreuth or, right. or uh, you know poets who wrote uh, you know sonnets uh, about Wagner uh, characters, and and I obviously could never encompass it all but i thought part of what the, this book could do would be to reach beyond the obvious uh examples which actually aren't so obvious to mm-hmm. uh, to to many people it comes as news uh that wagner uh, had this kind of effect on joyce on wolf on, on many others uh to to a lot of people uh but but these other figures you know at least to, to dip my toe in and to uh, sample uh what's there to give a flavor of of just the the texture of this period when when Wagner was so ubiquitous. I mean, I compare it to you know growing up in the nineteen sixties, and you know you you just had to listen to the Beatles and, right. and the and mm. the Rolling Stones and, and Dylan. Uh, you just had to be conversant with it, and to, to be a sort of intelligent young person uh, at the the turn of the century, uh, you had to have a position on Wagner. Yeah, you, you could hate Wagner, uh, you could be skeptical or or sort of have some provocative take uh, on him, but you you did have to have a position, and so that's the. The dynamic that became really interesting to me, just in terms of the, the 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 conversations, the the general tenor of how people were approaching Wagner in that period. And so the book starts with Wagner's death and goes all the way basically to the present. Um, and you touch on Wagner and Nietzsche. I mean, each chapter kind of deals with a different set of Wagnerisms. But it mm-hmm. seems maybe that Wagnerism first settles in France, kind of, in, in a major way. So can you talk a little bit about what the culture is around Baudelaire and the symbolist poets that, kind of, why Wagner takes such significant hold in that period for this group of artists and help kind of leads to this emergence of a kind of French literary modernism? Yeah, this is this is why the... And these, this is a more obvious, I guess, Wagner. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's huge. It was a huge phenomenon in France, and it's why... It's why I'm writing the book. It's why uh, Wagnerism exists in in a meaningful sense. Mm. Is because of it's this the source of French reaction. Mm-hmm. Because um, uh, beginning with Baudelaire, actually even before Baudelaire, uh, French poets and novelists and, and artists 
used Wagner uh, to their own ends in, in, a, in a very specific uh, and, and very vibrant and interesting way. So, so is, is that, I guess I should have said what is Wagnerism too, but is that kind of the idea of Wagnerism is using Wagner for your own ends in some sense? Oh, very much, yeah. Okay. It, it be, Wagner becomes a mirror in, mm. in many cases. Uh, I mean, the, the one interesting thread of the book is how, for me, how Wagner keeps disappearing or, or how Wagner's own concerns uh, keep getting marginalized. Uh, and so very often when I'm talking about quote-unquote Wagner in the book, it's this sort of phantom presence uh, mm. who exists. You know, it's very much these different Wagners uh, who have been uh, invented by by the artists, by the so-called Wagnerians, and by and by Cosima Wagner. I mean, that's another thread to the book is, is how uh, uh, Cosima created Wagner's an icon widow, of Wagner widow, at, widow, yeah. at, at Bayreuth, which uh, which superseded. Uh, the the real man uh, to begin with, and then you know Wagner himself was so wildly contradictory uh, and, and multiplicitous uh, that that you're you're never going to to you know track down the real right. Wagner, and that's just was completely not my concern. And it's actually liberating to write about Wagner without feeling the need to answer a bunch of these questions in a definitive way. It's just right. not my problem. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like I remember seeing some tweets like about your book at some point, like, why do we need another book about Wagner? And I mean, I guess it's like not a book about Wagner. Right. Mean, obviously, it's a, it's both somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it's around Wagner. Um, yeah, okay. And, uh, and so, so, but the interesting question is, why does this happen? Um, and, and especially in France, uh, why... Is Wagner uh, reinvented and and adapted to the reality of the French uh, situation, and I can't really give a, a precise answer, a definitive answer, but um, it it certainly has to do with the currents of French art and French politics uh, in in the the eighteen sixties and especially eighteen seventies and and eighties. Uh, as this bohemian avant-garde emerges in French culture, uh, Wagner, to a surprising degree, becomes an ally. And as these artists are reacting against an establishment, an academy, uh, a, a national French uh, agenda in, in the arts, uh, a, a, a patriotic uh, French uh, sensibility, uh, Wagner, precisely as he's as he's perceived as an anti-French, as a, as mm. a sort of a, as a belligerent uh, presence, and and Wagner indeed himself became very belligerent during the Franco-Prussian War. He becomes all the more interesting to this this vanguard, uh, and it. But it began before the war. It really began with with Baudelaire and Baudelaire's perception of Wagner as as a dream world. Uh, as an upwelling of the unconscious, uh, as this realm where uh, 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 darker forces and even uh, the the satanic uh, <laughs> comes into view, and there's there's an amazing passage in in uh, uh, his essay on Tannhäuser where he talks about. Um, uh, the the uh, counter religion, uh, this this idea of a satanic religion, mm. um, uh, symbolized by the figure of, of Venus in in Tannhäuser. Now we can pretty definitely say this is not what Wagner had in mind. Right. <laughs> you know, Wagner, you know, of course, it had this uh, uh, was drawn to uh, uh, the sensuous and the and the and the sensual and 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 the erotic and part 
who wanted to uh, uh, liberate all of this, but the idea that he was sort of actively uh, attempting to create a, a, a kind of a, a um, monument to satanic energies is <laughs> just really, really not what he was driving after. Um, but this is what Baudelaire perceived. And I think one incredible document is the letter that, that Wagner wrote to Baudelaire after he read uh, the that essay. Mm. And and he is swept away by it. He is he is uh, intensely grateful for it. He doesn't exactly say whether you know Baudelaire is is right about right. It, in, in terms of any of these ideas. But but I think what the core of that letter is, what sort of uh, the subtext to it is, Wagner is exulting in the fact that his work is being reinvented and, and reinterpreted and taking root uh, in a different culture. Uh, and despite his extreme Germanness uh, and his extreme chauvinism, I think just as an artist, uh, as someone who wanted to, to see his work live on and, and spread around the world, uh, he was overjoyed uh, to see that, that contrary uh, reinterpretation. Um, He's kind of and, sanctioning Wagnerism. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. And very much also at the time when, when he is still uh, on the outs in, in Germany uh, mm-hmm. and, is, and is still uh, a, an exile or, is a, or has had been uh, an exile. Uh, he was about to return, but, but he, um, he, he, he embraced that. So I think, I think this, this phenomenon of, of Wagnerism, Wagner helped to make it happen in his own way. I think he he was very careful in terms of how he uh, uh, framed his work for the French public. He encouraged uh, some of these elements of of interpreting the the, the dream world, the, the the unconscious. That was it, it didn't take him by surprise. You know, he, he he knew the marketplace mm. um, and and he knew what what elements to to highlight. But it just took off from there, and then and you know very quickly uh, it is you know Wagner um, becoming. Uh, a, uh, a sounding board for for these for these uh, ideas about the um, the French avant-garde, but then you 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 know the 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 symbolism itself uh, arguably arises in the pages of the Revue Wagnerienne, the the, right. um, the the periodical of the 1880s, uh, and then you have the obscure but fascinating figure of Édouard Dujardin. Uh, who begins writing uh, a prose, uh, uh, really sort of invents this new prose style of the interior monologue, uh, a kind of stream of consciousness writing uh, in the shadow of Wagner, actually very much trying to emulate on paper in prose uh, the, this, this sense of being swept away into, uh, into a, a realm of uh, pure uh, consciousness um, as, as you listen to Tristan, uh, especially right. as I sort of always example. So, so it's, uh, uh, it, it is just Wagner keeps playing this role of, of um, triggering someone's, someone's uh, train of thought, uh, perhaps they would have come up with, with all of these ideas uh, uh, without Wagner, but, mm-hmm. but Wagner is just a convenient kind of uh, signpost or, or a sort of a, 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 a figure whom you can cite uh, sure. as, uh, you know, as approving, as a sort of giving a, a precedent, kind of series yeah, of a kind of a green light to sort of go in a certain direction. Um, Including... uh, so the, ca- the causality of it is obscure. I mean, you're never going to sort of say, well, you know, would symbolism have arisen, you know, without mm. Wagner? Um, 
but uh, but whatever the precise role is, Wagner is is completely ubiquitous in, in this culture in France. What about shifting to the United States a little bit? I mean, one of the more interesting. I mean, it's all really fascinating to me, but I guess you know symbolism being maybe a more clear and obvious connection. But there's also Wagner's influence on the origins of the American kind of cowboy story, right? Can you talk a little bit about? Yeah, how that plays out. Yeah, again, sort of pretty indirect, or, mm-hmm. and you know, it's uh, you can't really sort of say that that Wagner, Wagner inspired the cowboy. <laughs> um, I mean, cowboys did already exist, independent of Wagner, but but there is this figure, Owen Wister, um, uh, who was a, a musically gifted young man uh, who who wanted to be a, a composer, um, and uh, he actually went to. Bayreuth in 1882 and was present at the premiere of uh, Parsifal. Uh, he didn't meet Wagner, but he did meet Liszt, who supposedly approved of his compositions. Um, and then he was from a wealthy family, and uh, he was uh, sent west, as as many uh, young men uh, were. This was sort of a routine. Theodore Roosevelt also uh, did this, mm. sort of to to you know. R- to uh, toughen you up, you know, right. you were sent to work at a ranch, you know, out, out west. So that's what happened to uh, uh, Worcester. There was also uh, the sort of uh, medical problems that were supposedly being addressed by the by the brisk uh, air of the west, and and so he went out there and recorded his impressions sort of through a Wagnerian lens. If you look at his diaries, his letters, uh, he, he, he mentions Wagner and the, and the, the, the craggy mountaintops of uh, Die Valkyra and sort of various other reference points. It's, it's sort of, it's how he, it's how he frames his, his romantic perceptions so uh, of the West. Yeah. Um, and so then he wrote the famous novel, The Virginian, uh, which is really a founding document of the Western genre, um, and one in which the the whole iconography of the of the the cowboy mm. slouching against the side of the uh, railway station with the the, uh, the the finger and the belt and the, and the, <laughs> like the, the handkerchief. The like he really, you know, he just he absolutely. Uh, I mean, there there certainly may have been people who looked more or less like that, but mm-hmm. he put it down on paper and it became codified. The sort of the cowboy image, um, and that book. Um, uh, uh, a number of scholars have, have already speculated, and, and I think rightly so, that that this figure of the cowboy, who's never named, uh, we never learn his name, it's, he's only the Virginian, uh, is a kind of echo of Lohengrin, mm-hmm. uh, whose name uh, you know cannot be spoken without a, sort of a disaster happening, uh, and so this 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 Western icon of the the man with no name, uh, which goes on to appear in Clint Eastwood movies and so on, uh, All goes back to kind Wagner. of has a <laughs> Wagnerian point of origin, um, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, so this is how and this this happens in a number of cases I think when Americans are absorbing Wagner and interpreting him against the backdrop of the West, uh, of the of the wide open landscape of these sort of solitary heroic figures, uh, moving through it and, and seeing them as Siegfrieds, uh, as Parsifal figures, uh, as as Lohengrin, uh, and so on. It just becomes a way to process uh, the the national culture mm. uh, in in 
native terms. This also happens in Irish culture. It happens in Catalan uh, culture. Uh, it happens over and over again uh, that, that Wagner provides a model for celebrating the mythic, often imaginary past uh, of any given nation or tradition. And so the, the, the challenge is mm-hmm. to sort of develop your own Wagnerian stories, right. novels, operas, uh, characters to flesh it out. I mean, this seems to also relate to even the idea of kind of identity groups. You have these chapters that deal with Jewish Wagnerism, Black Wagnerism, feminist Wagnerism, gay Wagnerism, all of which, to a certain extent, go against the grain of kind of our modern day association of Wagner with anti-Semitism, which, again, mm-hmm. we'll come back to. How did you kind of find those links between Wagner and these kind of political movements around identity? Was it important to you to kind of tease out those threads given how we typically think of Wagner today? I mean, one agenda behind the book is to challenge the very simple and dogmatic uh, equation of Wagner with Nazi Germany, Wagner with anti-Semitism, Wagner with racism, uh, which is absolutely not to deny that those relationships exist, uh, but just to push back against the idea that this is ultimately all that Wagner is about, you know, and, and Wagner is about a great deal more than that. So the balancing act of the book, in a sense, is to investigate and to bring to light all of these other Wagnerisms, uh, without losing track of that that central and very dark uh, story uh, of how Wagner does become a symbol of extreme German nationalism uh, and and racism, and so, so I'm, I'm trying to do uh, both at once and sort of tell each of those stories without letting one or the other of them uh, dominate. But but I personally was 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 very interested in in teasing out uh, these stories, particularly with. Um, I think the phenomenon of, of Jewish Wagnerism has been written about uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. People are aware that Theodor Herzl uh, was a, a fan of Wagner. They're, I think people are aware of the the ambiguous, uh, ambivalent feelings of a figure like uh, Arthur Schnitzler, uh, various other <clears throat> uh, Jewish intellectuals, writers, artists uh, of the turn of the century who loved Wagner while also being aware of the menacing uh, aspect of, of, of what he meant in terms of anti-Semitism. The phenomenon of African-American Wagnerism has been written about quite a bit less, um, partly because there's less of it to write about. Uh, mm. You can't pretend that this was a, a, a huge and widespread phenomenon sure. in African-American culture, but W.E.B. Du Bois, an absolutely gigantic figure, uh, a founding figure of modern American civil rights movement, was a fanatical Wagnerian, absolutely loved um, the operas uh, and incorporated Wagner into one of his really crucial uh, pieces of writing, uh, uh, one of relatively few fictional uh, um, uh, works that he undertook, uh, the story of the coming of John. Um, and what happens here is, I think, surprisingly, to, um, in, in light of that, that standard conception, you know, just as Wagner can be a model for American Western culture, Irish, Catalan uh, culture, uh, uh, Russian mysticism, uh, uh, various other uh, national movements, he can be a model for 
for an African-American heroic mm. uh, self-identity. And so that's what happens with uh, Du Bois. Um, and we think it's wildly contradictory given Wagner's racism. But the fact is, Wagner was violently anti-Semitic. Uh, his attitude toward people of color is somewhat more obscure um, and I think uh, was was ambivalent. He actually, there you can find uh, passages in the diaries where he is speaking in defense of African-Americans and, and, and criticizing uh, racism uh, toward people of color. You can also find blatantly racist remarks as well, but uh, but there's ambiguity there. But that even is beside the point. I mean, what, what matters is, you know, not what Wagner himself thought, but what a figure like Du Bois perceived in this work uh, and and how he saw it as as a model for for black culture and that's a, it's a <clears throat> remarkable phenomenon uh, a few other cases of it you can find um, in uh, uh, figures of the uh, the Harlem Renaissance um, but uh, Du Bois is the the main one one discovery that I made in, in the course of researching this book was regarding uh, a singer, a contralto named Lorana Aldridge, right, right, um, who would have sung at Bayreuth as one of the Valkyries in 1896 if she hadn't fallen sick. Uh, but but Cosima Wagner did cast her in that role. She became good friends with Eva Wagner, one of the daughters, and actually was st- seen to have been staying at Von Fried at the Wagner House in in Bayreuth as as a friend of the family almost uh, this is quite surprising her her father was the great african-american actor ira aldridge who was a, a pretty titanic figure um, in 19th century uh, theater history um, and it is just really interesting that that uh, that his daughter was invited to sing at Bayreuth, and this was a story that just really hadn't been told. Mm. I mean, not to congratulate myself sure. necessarily, but there there have been sort of one or two references in in uh, 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 reference works uh, to the possibility that she'd uh, sung at, at Bayreuth. But I uh, sort of teased out the whole story, found letters at the. Uh, Northwestern uh, University uh, archive uh, of um, uh, documents, uh, uh, archives related to Lorana Aldridge's sister, Amanda, uh, including a letter from Cosima herself uh, to to Lorana, which had been mislabeled uh, in the archive. Oh, wow. And after looking at it for <laughs> just a minute, I, I realized mm-hmm. this, this can only be Cosima Wagner. And... Um, and it's, you know, it's hard to make huge generalizations uh, from this. You know, I mean, Cosima was otherwise uh, uh, brutally racist in, in her attitudes. What does it mean that, that she seemed to have this, this friendly uh, uh, relationship with a uh, black singer or mixed-race singer? Uh, and of course, racism so often works in conjunction with exceptions, you know, and sort of, mm. you know, a, a racist can make uh, an exception uh, for a particular figure, but it, but it, it, it doesn't, it can even serve to, to disguise uh, to their, their them, racism. Yeah. Um, uh, so it, it, it doesn't mean a, a whole lot, I think, in the end, in terms of, you know, it doesn't sort of change your whole picture of, of what Wagner means in terms of race, but, but, this is something that, that, that Du Bois was uh, aware of. I'm certain, actually, I never found a trace of, of Du Bois mentioning 
uh, Lorana uh, and her relationship with uh, Wagner, but but he knew the sisters. He visited them in, in London, uh, and and I feel this may lurk in the background of Du Bois's Wagnerism as well. But but that was just that was just a <laughs> a wonderful moment in terms of my uh, research to to uncover something which just hadn't quite been noticed before. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I mean, the second half of the book really does tackle in depth in several chapters, Wagner's anti-Semitism, its influence on young Hitler, or actually, I guess not Wagner's anti-Semitism's influence on young Hitler, but maybe you can parse that out a little bit, but Wagner's influence on, on Hitler, and then kind of the the complicated role of his music during the Nazi period. Mm-hmm. You have the, the kind of way that you get into this is you have on the one hand, Thomas Mann putting forth a perspective on Wagner, and on the other hand, you have what the Nazis are, are kind of using Wagner or not using Wagner for how what are those two kind of perspectives emerging in the 1920s and 1930s right I mean one important part of the context that that I lay out is uh, the the many ways in which Wagner was politicized um, and and the fact that that Wagner was a, a major force on the left uh, and I have a, a much of a whole chapter on this question of Wagner on the left uh, in Germany, in France, uh, and uh, particularly in Russia, uh, where Wagner was was often cited by um, early figures in uh, the Bolshevik arts uh, as the progenitor of a, of a, of a revolutionary popular theater, um, and so the 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 right nationalist. Anti-Semitic Wagner was in competition with this other Wagner, and and for a lot of people, I think for a lot of people sort of generally aware of Wagner, um, circa 1900, when you ask what his politics were, uh, they would they would tend to to cite him first as a figure on the left, uh, you know, especially if they were coming out of a left sure. context, you know, um, and and he was just sort of widely known as this notorious revolutionary who had to go into exile in 1849 after becoming associated with the revolutionary movement. Um, and this image of Wagner, the arch-nationalist uh, and German nationalist and anti-Semite sort of came to the fore somewhat later uh it was always there and it's absolutely implicit explicit explicitly present in in De Meistersinger especially uh but it was it was pushed heavily um by the Bayreuth circle um by Houston Stewart Chamberlain and and these these various other figures who who did their own reinterpretation and their own remodeling uh, and their own appropriation. In the uh, early, kind of the first decade of the 20th century. Yeah, it's a subtle process. It moves by degrees, and, and you can just take chunks of Wagner's writing, and it seems that this is already, Wagner is already uh, saying these things in his work, but there are elements that have to be concealed and, and covered up and, and de-emphasized uh, for this this transformation to be uh, complete. Uh, you have to disregard Wagner's anarchic tendencies, his his youthful leftism, uh, his hostility to uh, uh, militarism. Uh, he, he ended up detesting um, the, the Wilhelmine, uh, the, the Kaiser state. Uh, uh, and and so, so um, it's, it's, it's not a... It, it, 
it's it's a fairly easy <laughs> transformation to bring about, but but it does require a certain amount of work in terms of uh, uh, revising uh, Wagner's ideas. And so that process was already well along before the First World War. Uh, Wagner had become a heavy hitter in um, in German nationalist and anti-Semitic uh, discourse. Um, but again, in in competition with this with this uh, left Wagner. Uh, in in the 1920s, that image of Wagner becomes victorious in, in, in Germany. Bayreuth is 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 completely Nazified really by 1924 when it when it reopens uh, after uh, uh, going dark um, at the, from from the beginning of the war. Uh, the, the the Nazi elements are are already very much in charge of, of Wagner's image in Germany, but you still find opposition uh, on the German left through the through the 1920s. Right. And Thomas Mann himself, his great 1933 lecture essay, The Sorrows and Grandeur of Richard Wagner, is a kind of last-ditch attempt to, to reassert uh, the left Wagner, the bohemian Wagner, um, uh, the uh, the culture Bolshevist Wagner, uh, he writes, uh, you know, very very provocatively, uh, you know, against the the prevailing Nazi image, um, and it's a it's a it's an effort that that ultimately fails, um, and this this Hitlerian uh, image of Wagner is victorious, um, and it remains victorious today. I think you know, this 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 uh, uh, definition of Wagner. Uh, remains very much in place. Uh, I, I feel that 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 it sh- it should always be resisted, uh, and we should always keep track of these these other Wagnerisms because I feel it's it's very sad to to let someone like Hitler have the, the final word. Mm. Uh, it's about, a kind of victory Wagner. over over this other, in a sense, other streams yeah, of yeah. But then it gets very complicated when you when you look at Hitler himself, and you know how did. Hitler conceive of Wagner in political terms, and there's a curious lacuna where you can't actually see Hitler citing Wagner as an anti-Semite. It doesn't exist. Um, Hitler's influenced by Wagner, Wagner's music, even Wagner's politics, but Hitler never mentions Wagner's anti-Semitism. Yeah, which doesn't mean that he wasn't influenced by... Sure, but it's just not in the record. But he didn't make it explicit, and that's interesting, you know, and and I think the way I see that is that that Hitler and uh, other Nazi, quote-unquote, thinkers, propagandists, uh, were conscious of the elements of Wagner that did not fit their picture. Uh, they, They couldn't Ultimately, completely appropriate uh, Wagner as as an ideological mouthpiece. Uh, Wagner had to be placed at a certain remove, uh, and it was ultimately safer uh, to to see him just simply as this great German cultural hero rather than explicitly uh, as a political influence. Because once you sort of, it's just the Pandora's box of. Of Wagner's political ideas is sort of very difficult to control. Uh, so there's a certain restraint in terms of how the Nazis used Wagner, and there were there were Nazis who who disliked Wagner for this very reason. They saw him as bohemian, weird, sexually suspect, mm. uh, not quite altogether healthy, uh, somewhat degenerate. Um, 
possibly Jewish. You know, this this rumor that that Wagner had uh, uh, Jewish ancestry was alive and well in in Nazi Germany and a source of, of discord. And, and uh, Winifred Wagner is writing to Heinrich Himmler, trying to get him to put a stop to these rumors. Uh, very weird stuff. Um, and and so I think it's just very interesting to 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 pinpoint and to keep track of that tension around Wagner in Nazi Germany. Uh, it's, it's a sign of the ways in which he is not altogether ideologically correct in that culture. And so, I mean, this, this is one part of this larger way of kind of, re, I guess, in some way rethinking, like, you know, the art and the artist and this relationship. And, and I think the book is also making the case you have the art, you have the artist, and then you have this kind of manifold set of influences that spread regardless of what the art or the artist might even kind of say like it you're offering a kind of model for how to look at not just the art you discuss in the book maybe but art more broadly right exactly yeah i mean you just can't you just can't control these relationships you can't you know even if you're able to figure out you know exactly what wagner uh, uh had in mind um you're you're gonna never be able to to specify the, the ways in which his own personal views play out and are interpreted and even more you know how the works themselves are going to be uh, interpreted uh, so you know as, as much as we're aware and we're all too aware of of Wagner's flaws uh, and his dark side and his, his frankly abominable characteristics um, they don't dictate um, how the works are perceived you know you know either in terms of people you know agreeing with those views or is this rejecting like a, those views i mean i suppose a super cynical take on this could say it like it's it's almost a way to like let artists off the hook in some sense but i, I don't think it's that either right it's like yeah no you don't want to it's it's not a question of just throwing up your hands and, right and saying well you know there's you know these these relationships exist um and they're powerful i mean i always go back to how thomas mann talked about these things uh, he never hid the fact in later years that that um that wagner was an enormous presence in nazi germany and not by accident mm-hmm. um uh but but he always wanted to bring nuance and complexity into the discussion and he refused to let go of his own personal love uh for for wagner's music and and his sense that there there are other possibilities that exist in this art beyond what the, the nazis perceived and and so that that sort of uh emphasis on nuance and complexity is definitely something that i try to hold on to in the book and it's you know never the most popular position people like to have uh, a, a sort of very black and white uh, answers uh, to these issues but i just don't think uh, you're going to find them in the the wagner case um, and i think it is actually very instructive you know as we go about discussing more and more uh this this issue of the art of the artist and and the 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 ideological uh, problems inherent in in so much of the art in the the Western canon. Uh, Wagner provides a model for how to confront and and work through uh, these issues. Um, it's funny. I, a couple of people have said to me as I've been working on this book, especially in the last couple of years, that you know, are you are you worried that this topic is going to seem suddenly really controversial right now as we seem to be sort of so acutely aware of 
of the uh, of the dark side of of artists, um, and it strikes me as <laughs> just a little comical because because this discussion over over you know people have been uh, confronting the question. Is Wagner too horrible a man to listen to his his music since around 1855 mm. <laughs> or earlier? It's just generation after generation right. uh, have uh, have been uh, struggling with this issue, and there's just such a rich literature of people um, rejecting Wagner, uh, reinterpreting Wagner, working through. Uh, 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 apologizing for Wagner you know which is uh, uh, part of the part of the picture even if even if we should uh, uh, reject that approach um, just this this spectrum of responses it's an incredibly rich literature and also it is behind so many of these relationships that that artists had uh, mm. with Wagner just so often it's ambivalent uh, there, there aren't that many major artists who just worshiped Wagner and, and, and loved his work with Virginia Woolf with with Thomas Mann with with Joyce with artists like uh, Kandinsky uh, Anselm Kiefer in in our own day um, there is this sense that that you know Wagner is a, is a troubling but fruitful field uh in in which to into work in which to work and and sort of something valuable can be drawn out of this this is a great German word outside Anders that song <laughs> this this um this analysis and debate and and uh sort of tussling with uh and sort of working through uh this this Wagner problem great well that sounds like what we were just doing for the past <laughs> 40 or so minutes thank you so much sure thanks Will Many, many thanks to the incredible Alex Ross for that deep and insightful conversation. You are definitely going to want to buy his book, Wagnerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music, when it comes out this September from Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud. For more on today's show, please visit our website, soundexpertise.org, and follow me on Twitter at Seated Ovation. I also encourage you to check out the work of my producer, D. Edward Davis, on SoundCloud at Warm Silence. Please subscribe and tell your friends about Sound Expertise. Tune in next week for a discussion with the musicologist Michaela Baranello about operetta in Vienna. Thanks for listening. <laughs>